You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. A reading from Genesis. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It is good to be with you uh, for this third and final day. And on this final day, I want to begin by making an assumption about every single person that is here today. And I typically try to avoid assuming things about large groups of people, but I think I'm probably safe in assuming that everybody who is here has a name, right? Okay, probably no like uh, one hour old babies who are here or anything like that. Everybody here has a name. And your name is important in at least one basic sense, sense. It's that it lets you be picked out from others. Your name allows you to be addressed as an individual. Now, my name, Ori, has added some, shall we say, interesting texture to my life. My first interaction with people typically goes like this. Hi, my name is Ori. No, Ori. No, it's like Cory without the C. And then by that point, people finally get it. Sometimes people think it's an interesting or unusual name. One time I told a lady what my name was, and she just responded, no, it's not. And I, I confess that I'm still confused about what was going on in that interaction. A typical assumption that people make about my name is that it's short for something. And I confess that I have been, uh, sort of had my mind blown that the most common guess of what my name is short for uh, is Orlando. Uh, which would make me Orlando McFarland, which that is, of course, a great name, but I have to assume that my life would have gone in a very different direction if that's who I was. Another assumption is that my name has some sort of deep meaning or family significance. Ori is just a little bit different, so there must be some reason for it, when in fact there was a miniseries in the 1980s called North and South about the Civil War And there was a northern general played by Patrick Swayze who was named Ori. My parents just heard the name and thought it was nice and unique but not too weird. And so that's what they called me. I like my name, uh, but it has no sort of deep thought on my parents' part. 
They just heard it and liked it and gave it to me. Now, parents often today try to be careful in naming their children, at least so that they don't set their children up for a a lifetime of jokes. And while there may be exceptions to this, and maybe there are some here today, names don't often carry much deep meaning or significance to them. This is a strong contrast to the Bible, where so often the text makes it clear to us that a person's name speaks to the character and to the identity of the person who bears it. Its meaning reveals something about the person. But, like in the Bible, our names today can come to carry a lot of baggage. Our names can tell a story about who we are and what kind of person we are. And our reading today from Genesis revolves around the importance of names. So where we are in the story of the Bible is that God has called this man named Abraham out of idolatry. He singled him out to give him a promise. He says, I'm going to bless your family, and in your family, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. In other words, through your family, I am going to make right everything that has gone wrong. This promise is reaffirmed to Abraham's son, Isaac, and then to Isaac's son, Jacob. Now, all too often, people are taught to read the Bible in such a way that we just kind of take it for granted that all of the main characters of the Bible are good people. Capital G, capital P, good people. And once we drop that idea, of course, we see that while people like Abraham and Isaac do have high moments, their lives are a shockingly mixed bag. We do see examples of faith, but we also see the very sin that we need to be saved from wreaking havoc in their lives. And the story of Jacob seems mostly weighted towards this latter emphasis. This guy who is going to carry forth God's blessing is a mess. He is a complete mess. From the beginning, we learn that he, rather than his older brother Esau, will be the one who will bear the blessing. But we also learn that his name means something. So in almost any Bible that you pick up, the first time that you see the name Jacob, there will be a footnote with it. If you read that footnote, it will say, Jacob means he takes by the heel or he cheats. That's what we learn about Jacob from the very beginning. He cheats. When he was born as a twin with Esau, the story tells us that he was holding on to his brother's heel. And that gives us a clue to where the story is going. He's always going to be trying to get ahead of his brother. And two particular things happen in the story of these brothers together that makes this even more explicit. First, Jacob tricks or talks his brother uh, into selling his birthright into him when he finds him in this desperate situation. There's this kind of swap of, of birthright for a bowl of stew, which was not a good deal for Esau. And then second, Jacob deceives his father Isaac to get Isaac to give him the blessing that was intended for his brother Esau. As Esau exclaims after Jacob has received this blessing that was intended for him, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. Jacob's name fits and reveals who he is. He is a deceiver. He's a cheater. Again, if we give up the preconceived notion that the main characters in the Bible are all good, we see that Jacob, like so many other characters in the Bible, he basically stinks. And it's here after Jacob has deceived Esau for the second time, that he's gotten himself into a situation where his mother sends him away to her brother so that he can avoid Esau's wrath. Esau makes it clear, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill my brother. So he's sent away. 
And when we meet Jacob here, it's 20 years later, and he's finally on his way back home. And he's about to meet his brother Esau for the first time in a long time. And he's understandably afraid of Esau. He's understandably, you know, worried of what is going to happen when he meets him. Now, finally, all of that deceit is going to come back to bite him. And it's in this moment, and this is uh, something that happens right before the text that we just heard, that Jacob offers this truly wonderful prayer to God. He recognizes that he is undeserving before God, and he prays for deliverance, and he reminds God of his promises. And you'd be tempted to think, wow, this guy is finally starting to get it. He's turning a new leaf. He's finally going to rely on God now, not his own plans and deceits. But of course, then he just goes right back to being Jacob. After praying, he immediately hatches an elaborate plan to protect himself. He hides most of his wealth and sends another portion on ahead to try to get back into his brother's good graces. Because when you can pray, but why not try to increase your odds of success? But ultimately, it's his prayer and not his plans that prove successful. And so in this story that we just heard, it's during the night. Jacob has finally sent his family and goods across the Jabbok River. And the text says, and Jacob was left alone. He brings neither provision nor protection to what is coming. And it's in this situation, in the fear of finally meeting someone he's mistreated so badly for so long, he's alone with his fears and doubtful plans, that he meets this unknown stranger in the night. And then he's attacked. Jacob is wrestling in the dark with this unidentified enemy. And what we learn is that the attacker is God in human form. One text in the Old Testament says that it was the angel of God, which just means it's God's presence. Either way, this is an encounter with the divine. As Jacob will say later, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been saved. But right now, Jacob doesn't know who this other being is, but he's wrestling with him all night. And as day approaches, we read that the adversary puts Jacob's hip out of socket just by touching it, a very painful thing. And he tells Jacob to let him go. Jacob, of course, at this point knows that this is no ordinary being, but someone who is greater than he. So Jacob being Jacob, he's stubborn. He's not going to let this man go, but he demands a blessing. I demand a blessing from you. And his adversary at this point responds, what is your name? What is your name? And remember, from the very beginning, we know that Jacob's name has defined his character. how he he has conducted himself his whole life. So when his adversary demands to know his name, he's basically forcing Jacob to confess who he is, to admit his guilt. I am Jacob, which means that I am the cheater. I am the one who deserves whatever he is about to get. He is about to be revealed. Whoever this being is that can injure his hip only by touching him, he shouldn't let Jacob go. And I think if we're reading this story for the first time and we've seen everything that Jacob has done, we might think it is time for some well-deserved punishment. Jacob is finally going to get what's been coming to him for a long time, for a life full of deceit and tricks and sin. And yet that is not what happens. God doesn't punish Jacob, but what he does instead is he gives him a new name. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. 
This other being blesses Jacob. He gives him a new name, which is basically to give Jacob now a new being. And so Jacob limps away from this wrestling match, not as one who has been beaten down, not as one who has been confirmed in his deceitfulness, but as one who has received a new name and a new life through his encounter with God. And it's this Jacob, who is now Israel, who goes on in the light of day to be reconciled with his brother Esau and to be the father of the 12 sons of the tribes of Israel. Now, when we read this story, we have to admit that this is a very strange story. It is very mysterious in so many different ways, and there are so many questions we might have about it. But I think at its root, it teaches us something about the grace of God to redeem us from our own life histories. Martin Luther said that our encounter with God, when each of us meets God, it's like what happens with Jacob at the Jabbok. God comes to us first as this unknown adversary. God is the holy God, and we are the sinful humans. And in this encounter with God, you know, will we be confirmed in our sinfulness? Will we be punished? Should we be put to death? But the miracle is that this unknown adversary is no enemy at all. He's no enemy to us, but rather he is the God who gives grace to the unworthy, who justifies the ungodly, who gives to sinners like Jacob and you and me what we do not deserve. Luther called this encounter that we have with God the happy exchange. He says when we meet God in Jesus Christ, Jesus takes on himself everything that we bring to the table. Jesus takes our sin, he takes our brokenness, he even takes our death. And instead of having all of those things, what we receive is everything that Jesus brings to the table. We receive his life, his righteousness, his holiness. His death becomes our death so that his life becomes our new life and the promise of eternal life. We are covered by his name and redeemed. And so we receive a new name in our baptism because there our names are united to Christ's. We all of us come into this place today with a name. And I think for all of us, those names have a unique life history for good or for ill, and they all carry a lot of baggage. Not only our given names and everything that they come to represent, but all of the names that we can learn to place on ourselves and the names that we fear that others are putting onto us. You know, those, those worries that we have when we're feeling like we're in the dark or vulnerable or worried. Who am I? Well, I'm an insecure person. I'm ugly. I'm unlovable. I'm disappointing. I'm arrogant. I'm abusive. I'm unworthy. I'm a hypocrite. I'm dumb. I'm useless. We learn to place so many different names on ourselves, and I think we worry that others might be placing those same names on us. It's in the midst of these kinds of struggles, those dark nights and times of despair, that God does see you. He hears you placing those names on yourself, and what he says to you in the gospel is that those names do not tell you who you are. Instead, you are my beloved and forgiven child. By faith, you are united to Jesus Christ, and his name covers you. It redeems you. Any other names, they lose all of their power. And so to know who you are, to know what your name means, you don't look to your past. You don't listen to what others say about you. You don't even listen to what you say about yourself. You look to Jesus Christ and you listen to the gospel. This is where you learn who you are 
And this is where you learn what your name means. And what it means is that you are a beloved and forgiven child of God in Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.